Good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming up here. All right, so today uh, we're talking about how we are saved through Jesus and him alone. You heard it in some of the readings. You know, the Lord said, I am Lord and there is no other. So we heard about these, these wonderful truths from God's word and God showing us that we can trust the gospel message. And we also can look to Jesus for everything. You know, if we're ever scared or fearful, uh, we can look to him and call upon him and he will answer us. In our gospel lesson, which we're going to read in just a little bit, we're going to talk about a pretty scary scene where uh, Jesus had to confront a man who was possessed by a demon, and not just one demon, but many demons. And many people were afraid. But we don't need to worry when Jesus is there. And Jesus is with us too, so we can always call on him. So to remind us of that, we're going to sing a little song, and I'm going to teach it to you. Some of you might know it if you've heard me teach it before. But the congregation can help out too, so I need great crowd participation here as well. So, um, it starts out with I, so let's point to our I, point to our I, even though it's really talking about me, myself, or I, but it sounds like that. So, call, I will call, so make your hand into like a phone, like an old phone or a flip phone, if you've ever seen one of those, the old phones are now the flip phones. Um, I will call upon the Lord, okay, point up to heaven, to the Lord, I will call upon the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised, and let's clap three times. For he is worthy to be praised. And then we say, Hosanna, Hosanna. So like on Palm Sunday, everybody was like waving palms, so our hands are kind of the palm branches, Hosanna. And then we go, because God is strong, we go, huh. And then we say, blessed be the rock, huh, huh. Because God is very strong, blessed be the rock. And then Hosanna, blessed be the rock, huh, huh. All right. Um. Yeah, I think that's how it goes. Okay, yeah, that's how it goes. That's good. All right, um, and then we'll sing it, and uh, everybody can join with me if you want. I'll sing it first. If you feel comfortable joining with me, you can. Just follow along, um, and then congregation, too. All right. I will call upon the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. I will call upon the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Pretty good. I think you guys got it down. We'll sing it one more time, maybe. Let's shake out our arms a little bit, especially in the congregation. There are a few that, you know, kind of some disjointed movements there. But um, neck this way, this way. We don't have any injuries. Forward, back, big breath in. Big breath out? Okay, all right. You guys ready? Okay. I will call upon the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. I will call upon the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Excellent work. And we'll sing about that in the rest of our hymn, Cornerstone, because Jesus is that cornerstone we can rely on. And let's pray and thank him. Dear Jesus, thank you for being our God and the one to whom we can always go. Thank you for saving us, for rescuing us, and for always being with us and protecting us and listening to us and helping us in every need and even when we're afraid. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. It'd be nice to say that we always learn the lesson well when everything is nice, easy, and comfortable. Right? I mean, it, it's good. As a teacher, you'd want to have like a safe environment for the children, that everything's comfortable, everything's good. But we also realize from experience that sometimes the lesson is learned best when there's some difficulty involved, or maybe some emotion, some skin in the game, so to speak, and, and maybe even some, some you know, uh, yeah, difficulty. And as we look and see Jesus and his disciples, as we're about to read about Luke chapter 8, um, and this, and as they meet the obscene in the Gerizines, there are some lessons that we learn, and no doubt the disciples learned. They learned about demons and demonic activity and the nature of those things. They learned about the human sinful nature. They learned about Jesus and the power that he has and the power of his salvation. And they learned about Jesus' great plan to change the world by using people to share the gospel message. People whose worlds he's changed. Change the world. Tell what Jesus has done for you. Luke chapter 8. They sailed to the region of the Gerizines, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And all the people of the region of the Gerizines asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is God's word. They thought they were going to die. They thought they were going to die. The disciples were on the other, on Galilee, the Galilee side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And so they all got into the boat, Jesus included. And Jesus fell asleep 
and part of the boat. And as they went out on the Sea of Galilee, and these were fishermen who knew it well, um, a storm came, you know, the, the wind came down over those hills around Galilee, and the storm kicks up, and, and the wind was, was crashing, and the waves were crashing over the boat, and they, as experienced people of the water, or on the water, they realized, we are going to die. And they woke Jesus up and said, Lord, don't you care if we drown? Jesus gets up. You remember this. He rebuked the winds and the waves, and everything grew calm. And then he rebuked the disciples, and he said, where is your faith? And then they landed safely on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Gerizines. And the disciples, maybe still trembling from what had occurred, now have this crazy scene, as, as, as Pastor Smith would say, the scary scene in the Gerizines. As this demon-possessed man doesn't hide, doesn't run away, but he, he almost charges Jesus, falls at his feet, and starts to try and beg and barter with him as Jesus commands the Spirit to go out, don't send me into the abyss. Don't send me into the abyss. Not even demons want to go to hell. That should tell us something about how awful hell is. Not even demons want to go into hell. And demons know their rightful place is in hell. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. They know they deserve it. For all the evil they do, and for all the evil they try to make others do. They know that hell is their eternal destiny, but, but they try and, and, and go to the length of the chain that God allows them throughout this life. Don't torture me. And they try and beg and barter with Jesus. This poor man, for a long time, we're told, even just a little bit with a demon would be too long, but for a long time, this man was infiltrated, was driven by these demons. At first, it seems like one demon, but then Jesus said, what is your name? It says, Legion. Do you know how many soldiers are in a Roman legion? 6,000. How many demons possessed this man? And what did demons do? Sometimes people will, will search for um, the, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll think that a Ouija board is simply a fun board game. Not realizing sometimes, or maybe even realizing that they're tapping into the demonic with that. They're asking for help other than God to tell the future or to see who likes who or whatever it might be. A seance is, you know, maybe just something you do at a party, but you're trying to tap into the, to the, to the dead, to the underworld, and to de demons. People sometimes in great grief or great guilt or in anxiety or worry over something will, will seek out the help of, of a witch or someone who will try to contact the dead and demons or demons parading as the dead. And some welcome it in. Some are simply bystanders. Some experience it. But how awful and scary and treacherous it is. And if we don't realize that, look at what the demons do to this man. He casts off clothes. He's naked. He is driven away from the people who would help him, from the people who loved him. And they chained him up hand and foot, and he broke the chains. This is very scary. Ran off to solitary, deserted places. This is not the solitude that you or I might crave after a long day of work and just want some peace and quiet, just some meat. No, this is the isolation that people fear. And to be tormented by these demons out where no one goes. And he lived among the tombs. Demons, the devil, are never your friends. Pretty clear lesson we learned from this. And the disciples got it up close and personal. 
And for a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And in an instant, Jesus changes everything for the man. And casting out these demons, in an instant, his world was changed. That's what Jesus does. That's the power he has over demons. And what do the demons do as they ask permission to go into this herd of pigs? We're told in another place, I think 2,000 pigs, this large, profitable herd. The demons immediately go from the man, they're cast out, and they go into this herd of pigs, and what do they immediately do? They run them down a steep bank, piling into the water. You can imagine that the front ones getting pushed into the mud, dying, you know, suffocating, and, and the other pigs going over the top of them to, to meet their death as quickly as possible in the waves of the Sea of Galilee, and all of them die, and the herdsmen are shocked by the supernatural, and they go and they run and tell all the people in the countryside, all the people in the town, what had happened. And the people went out to see what had happened, and what did they see? They saw this massive amount of dead hog carcasses that probably they had just been accustomed to see on the hillsides grazing, but now they're, they're dead in this massive awfulness at the Sea of Galilee. Not to mention, who's going to clean this up? You know, what the people were overcome with fear. And we're not told at the sight of the hogs, but as they saw the man, who for a long time demon-possessed, naked, living among the tombs, what was he doing? He was sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed, and in his right mind. Who is this that has such power over demons? They're overcome with fear. Never mind what the, the hog cooperative thought about this. They were all overcome with fear. And the, the obscene or the scary scene that they were met with when they came in their welcoming committee, this demon-possessed man, now it seems even worse what the townspeople do. Because what do they do? They immediately plead with Jesus and they shoo him out. Please, leave our region. They're overcome with fear. You and I get an insight into our sinful natures, don't we? What do we do when we're met with the Word of God? His commands. You know, we're overcome with fear. You know, or we, we try to, to get away from them sometimes. What do some people do when they're met with the Gospel? That unbelievable message that God, Almighty God who created everything, Almighty God that watched His own creation ruined by mankind, would have mercy with no reciprocation on these people and then give up his own son, true God in the flesh, to suffer and die in their place that they might be with him for all eternity. Who does that? In life, isn't it always an exchange? You know, you give me something and then I'll give you something. But here God, in his infinite mercy, does the impossible and promises life, forgiveness, and love to all in Jesus Christ. And some people reject that. They say, that's ridiculous. And they walk away from it. Or they never let it get to their hearts. This is the nature of the sinful nature. And we always have to be on guard because each one of us, on this side of eternity, has that sinful nature that wars against God's love, wars against God's command, wars against anything good, and is so sneaky that it'll even take blessings God gives to us to try and twist them to turn them into traps for us. And there's always a fine line, isn't there? I mean, work. Work is a wonderful blessing. In the Garden of Eden, in a perfect world, there was work. And who doesn't like a good, profitable, you know, fulfilling day at work? 
And when you're out of work, you feel it, and you go, I wish I had a job, I wish I could do this, I wish I could provide, I wish I could do this. And you pray for that, but, but when you have it, yes, not every day is a good day at work. We have thorns and thistles as the curse of sin has given to us, but, but to have a good day at work, what a wonderful blessing. But yet, doesn't it, isn't it the devil's trap or, or our sinful nature's trap to, you know, just try and get us to overcommit, overcommit, overcommit a little bit more so we're exhausted, so the joy goes out of it, so that we actually don't have time for God and his word or gathering together as a family around God's word or being in God's house. You know, just a little more work or this is what I have to do. You know, a blessing, but that can be quickly turned. Or activity. Activity is good for all of us, correct? You know, this is something we want to be active. You know, mind, body, this is a good thing. Um, but sometimes, you know, as we do it for ourselves or we commit our children to it, and then we're running here, there, and everywhere, and it seems like there's no brake pedal, and suddenly we don't have time to gather around God's Word. We don't have time to sit at Jesus' feet. We don't have time to gather in God's house because we've overcommitted here, there, and everywhere. Something that was good and wonderful for us, for our bodies, for our minds, for our health, but yet can quickly be twisted. Or you think of rest. We need rest. I don't know. I don't know. Are we busier than we used to be? It always feels like that, right? You know, you got to kind of check in on each generation, see what busy looks like. But, but you know, it seems like, and, and well-deserved rest, a well-deserved break. But yet sometimes the simple nature says, well, we don't need God's word. We don't need time in his house. We don't need time to gather around his word as individuals or as family, when we go and get this release, this break, but can true rest ever be found apart from Jesus? Just a simple nature twist. Three good things. Work, play, or, or activity, or rest. But yet our simple nature will twist, and we must always be on guard, and we repent of the things that, that we have, where we have crossed the line, or we, we failed in our and the great gifts that God has given to us to ignore them and to shoo Jesus a little bit more and a little bit more away. And we learn a valuable lesson about the power of our Savior Jesus and his great salvation when we look at the man. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Sitting at Jesus' feet. Can there be any better place? And when a couple chapters later, um, Luke records for us when Jesus was at the home of Mary and Martha, two believers, and they were both doing wonderful things, and Martha was getting things ready, probably a phenomenal cook, baker, and doing things um, for Jesus and the disciples. Good, godly work, but yet she let it get in the way of sitting at Jesus' feet. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, and so Martha said, Lord, tell her to come and help me, because this is maybe more important. And Jesus says... Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The townspeople said, Jesus, please leave. They were overcome with fear. Their sinful nature is getting the better of them. They don't want any of this. They want to maybe get back to normalcy, whatever that looked like, get up to the cleanup effort, get to just, just we don't need this, we don't need you. And yet they didn't realize how much they needed him. But the, the man from whom the demons went out understood so clearly how much we need Jesus. And he pleads with Jesus to go with him wherever, wherever Jesus was going. He wanted to be there. And what did Jesus say to him? Return home and tell how much God has done for you. 
So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus had changed his world. And he goes out, not only his world, but his eternity. And he goes out and tells not just his home, but everybody in the town, everybody who would listen. And can't you and I do the same? Jesus has changed your world and my world, hasn't he? And thank God he has. He took us from heading down the path of sin and into the fires of hell for all eternity, and Jesus rescued us. He took all of our sin, shame, guilt upon himself, and he went to the cross, and he let God punish him in our place. He died the death we deserved so that we would never taste of eternal death, but have forgiveness, life, and freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from the devil, freedom from our own sinful nature, and power. That's what we have. Three days later, after dying for us, he rose from the grave with power and authority to show it's true and we can trust every one of his promises and the only place we can truly find rest is in him. And that we want to hold on to him with everything that we have and to take time for him and to live for him in this freedom, in this love, in this, as this man experienced, his world was changed. And so our world has changed and so we go and we share this message with all who will listen and we have the, the same wonderful message, don't we? Not something I've done or something that I accomplished, but something that God has done for me. He's changed my world. And he does the same for you. If I took a poll of the people of that town, young and old, and asked them, how many of you have seen this man naked? I'm guessing quite a few of them would have raised their hands. You can't really not see that. You can't unsee it. But yet this man, whose world was changed, changed, could go and share the gospel with them and let them know how much Jesus had done for, for him. And his past didn't matter. Yes, people couldn't forget it. But he was forgiven, he was freed, he was safe with Jesus. What does your past look like? How many failures are there? Hopefully not everybody has seen you naked, but you get the picture, your past is forgiven. You really are free. You really have been accepted by God into his family. And you are loved and you have an eternity in heaven waiting for you. Not something you did, but something Jesus has done for you. And this is something you could share with the world. And God, through you, changes other people's worlds. Change the world. Tell what Jesus has done for you. In his name, amen. For our stewardship thought, we've... We look at all the different ways that the Lord has blessed us and we try and be good stewards of that as we glorify him in all we do and give thanks to him. We do that in the realm of our time that God has given to us, that we try and set priorities, godly priorities, the, the treasures God has poured up, poured into our laps, using them wisely, giving some back to him out of thanks. How we do it with uh, the talents and abilities that God has given to us, that we use them to his glory to serve family and community. How we also uh, take time to, to think about the truth that he has given to us and also our temples, how we take care of the, the bodies God has given to us. Uh, today we, we focus on truth. Um, and we give thanks for the great blessing we have in the truth. That we hold to a confession that, that, that knows that God's word is truth. And that we find unity with others who share that same confession. It's not just me as an individual. We look at this family of believers and we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ at St. John's just across town or Trinity and Nicolette or, or Cortland Lutheran. And we give thanks. Two weeks ago, we had the, the meeting of our Minnesota district. 
So there are 12 districts in our synod, but Minnesota district, all those pastors, teachers, staff ministers, and lay delegates representing their congregations coming in and working on how we can best share the gospel with our communities and with our world. And you look around that room and who those people represent, groups of believers who are unified. Not because we said, hey, let's all just get along, or yeah, you're teaching this which is wrong, you're teaching this which is you know, a little suspect, but, but no, we're all holding to the same confession, to the truth of God's word. And that is something we, we can't take for granted. But we give thanks to God for it, and we rejoice in it. And we look for more and more who will share this wonderful confession of the truth. And so we give thanks today for not only our congregation, our family of believers, but our brothers and sisters in Christ, our fellow congregations nearby, but also in our, our district and in our synod. And we pray God bless us as we hold out the truth to the world and bring many more to understand that Jesus is their Savior and has given them full and free forgiveness in his sacrifice and resurrection. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the great fellowship we share, which comes from your truth. Uh, we ask you to bring more and more into our group, that they might know what we know, that we have a Savior from sin, a God who loves us, we have an eternity in heaven waiting for us, and we get to live for you every step of the way until you call us home. In your name we pray. Amen.